previously on Maverick. No person on earth should experience that kind of pain from their own family. God has been teaching us to pray like we've never prayed before. And that week was just really restorative. And by the end of it, he was able to say, the Lord has really met me and I'm okay. You're listening to Maverick, and this is episode seven of Bashara's story. After Bashara's parents returned home, his dad's health just kept getting worse. He was almost completely blind in his left eye, and his right eye started to go bad too. So he hopped on a plane to the Middle East for treatment. And when he left, Bashara's mom became an evangelistic force to be reckoned with. His mom was evangelizing everybody in the family. She's telling people about Jesus, her neighbors, the second wife. So she's, well, she's actually the second wife, but the third wife. She's evangelizing and her children. And one of the people who's believing, who's starting to read the word, is Bishara's twin brother. They were best, best friends. They loved to do the same things, and they were just super tight. He began reading the Word and believing as well. With Bashara's dad gone, she was sharing with everyone who would listen. Family members and neighbors started to follow Jesus as they heard her testimony. And pretty soon, her and nine other people would meet and pray and read together regularly. And Bashara was so encouraged with every new update, because the two people he loved most in this world his mom and his twin brother, were both following Jesus and discipling others. I've always known in theory that the gospel can't be chained, that it can't be snuffed out or stifled, and that just when it seems like it's been silenced, it has exponential impact. I've known that, but Bashara has experienced that. And around every corner, he's seeing the impossible become reality as the gospel grips the lives of people who seem too far gone. And what is so incredible about his story is that it isn't the only one. Bashara's life is not an isolated incident. Something is happening in this part of Africa. Hundreds of people are falling in love with Jesus in miraculous ways. And many of them weirdly connected to Bashara through this miracle or that neighbor or someone who heard about what he was doing around town. And even though many of them are connected to Bashara, Their stories point to the fact that what God is doing is so much bigger than just him. My name is Izabedin. Izabedin grew up in a Muslim home, memorizing the Quran, and he was dedicated to studying it. But there were always things that didn't seem to add up for him, things that didn't sit well. The problem is that anywhere in the Islamic world, if you ask a question, People will doubt that you are a real Muslim. There is no way to wrestle and discover and seek truth. So, after a while, one thing became clear to me about Islam. There is nothing clear. And without any answers, Islam wasn't very compelling for Izabuddin. So he sort of drifted away from it. He ended up becoming a drug dealer and lived the kind of life you'd assume goes along with that. But there was always this unsettledness in him. He didn't know truth, but he had a nagging feeling that it existed somewhere. 
And then one day, Izabedin encountered something he couldn't shake. He was with a friend, and they were just sort of riding around town when they heard it. I was sitting behind him on his motorcycle. We were stopped at an intersection, and there was a crowd standing around a man. He was preaching about Jesus. I wanted to stay and listen, but my friend was a devout Muslim and wanted nothing to do with it. His friend was ready to leave, and Izabedin didn't want to create a scene, so he reluctantly agreed to go. By the time they drove away, he had only heard a few sentences, but that was enough to get him curious. He kept replaying that scene over and over in his mind. Why didn't he insist on stopping? How would he ever find that guy again? Was that the one person with the answers he'd always been looking for? That moment sort of launched him into a quest. He searched the internet for months, trying to find out more. And eventually he came across a website that gave him an electronic copy of the New Testament. He read it in a matter of days. And just like Bashara, he started having dreams and visions. When he was finished, he emailed the website again and asked if there was someone who could meet with him. It took them a while to find someone, but eventually they got in contact with someone in Izabedin's area. I got this call from a colleague of mine in the Middle East. They've had this website for a long time and they've seen a lot of fruit from it, from all around the Middle East and even parts of Africa. But for some reason, they'd never gotten a hit from someone in my area until Izabedin. He wanted to know if I could meet with him and answer some of his questions. I ended up giving his contact information to Bashara so they could meet up. So after a few weeks of emailing back and forth and figuring out schedules, Izabedin and Bashara agreed on a place to meet. Bashara got there first that day, so he was already sitting there waiting. And when Izabedin finally walked in and saw Bashara, he froze. The guy from the crowd, the one that he'd been thinking about for months, regretting the fact that he didn't stop to talk with him, that guy was sitting there waiting for him. Izabedin talks about that moment as God's pursuit of him. He knew this was God bringing him the answers he'd been looking for. So after Izabedin met with Bishara and had some of his initial questions answered, he wanted to meet on a weekly basis to study God's Word. So I talked with Ryan, and the four of us started meeting every week to study God's Word and pray together. Eventually, Dan and Ryan passed those meetings off to James. He had been walking with Bashara more and more after that day they met in the hotel. And so James added Izabedin and a couple other guys to their group and started meeting with them regularly. It's fun, fascinating, and frustrating all at the same time. I mean, the fun part is they were just gobbling up the word and wanting to know more. They had tons of questions. They were interacting with lots of people. And the Holy Spirit was teaching them on their own. It was just fun and fascinating because of the questions that they would have and the ways that they would look at the scripture. They're looking at these things through their own current events and through their eyes and through their, their experiences and culture. Part that's frustrating is the Word of God, it's like sandpaper on, on your life. And there are times where it, it, it reveals or exposes a need for change. That's the messy part. We've got to help one another through that. I think that's the best part of discipleship is it, it happens best in community. It happens best in groups. And, uh, and that was a cool thing to be able to see like Bishara and Isabadeen doing those things together. 
I loved to be with them. Every week we studied the Bible and I realized that in it, I could find the answers I was looking for. And Bishara became to me like a brother. And then from that, slowly but surely, Izbedin started sharing his faith with people from similar life experiences from him who had grown up outside of the country but were back for various reasons and were disillusioned with life in general, but specifically with Islam. And so some of those soul-searching questions that Izabedin was asking, they were also asking, and he was able to point them to God's Word, and some were expressing belief in it. And just like Bashara, Izabedin became another epicenter of gospel growth. Stories like these keep popping up all around the city. There's a woman named Adonia who gathers every week to study the Bible with a group of women. They all came to Jesus after Bashara helped rescue one of their granddaughters from circumcision. There's a taxi driver who started having satanic nightmares that eventually led him to repentance. Now those who jump in his cab are told about the healer of dreams. There's a paralytic who was healed and got saved and started a Bible study with his neighbors who saw what God did in his life. There's a poor guy named Zane who came to Jesus, started sharing the gospel, and now disciples over 70 people. Everywhere you look, God is radically transforming lives. It's a snowball in the African desert, and it's gaining momentum. The person that God healed went and taught another person, and then that person taught another. Like these people began to say, truly, Jesus Christ is real, and we would get believers. And as exciting as all of this is, it also begs the question, why there and not here? Why does God do all these miracles with them and not us? And while there isn't really a perfect answer, I found myself once again thinking about how all this began for Bashara. First, he gets alone and reads the New Testament. So if you had no idea what Christianity was and all you did was sit down and read scripture, what would you assume? I mean, you'd probably just expect God to do the same kinds of things you read about him doing. And then just days into reading these scriptures, he literally starts experiencing supernatural things. So of course he comes to this underlying expectation that this is how things look for believers. And the other thing that happens right off the bat is that he starts suffering, which I think is another reason for God being really tangible to Bashara. God comforts those who suffer for him. So Bashar has this unique idea of what it means to walk with Jesus that most of us here in America just don't. He expects to suffer and he expects God to show up and that's exactly what's happening. And that makes perfect sense to him. And then it isn't just Bashara, but people all around him are experiencing healing. And so you have whole communities coming to Jesus with the same expectations. And it only makes sense that they're all walking around with faith that God will work in big ways. The thing that caused the believers to increase was the miracles that the Lord gave me. He was making His truth go forward through much healing. But even outside of those expectations, there's the fact that this story is taking place in an area where the gospel is a new message. And think about like, you know, if somebody says, okay, you're on a cliff and it's really cloudy and you know the end of the cliff is just a few feet away and the person says, keep on walking, there's not a cliff anymore, there's a bridge. And you know you've been there a gazillion times and you've never seen a bridge, but you gotta walk there. Now, if you've had a dad and a mom, a grandmother and grandfather who have walked on that bridge 
and they say, hey, you can't see it, but we're walking on that bridge, hold my hand and come along with us. A lot easier to get over that bridge. But if you've never known anybody in your family to walk down that bridge, it feels like a massive leap of faith. So what is the Lord pleased to do in those times when you don't have that history of people in your culture ever believing? He lifts the clouds in an amazing way. The example, like for us, we've never seen the clouds lift. It's because we've never had to have the clouds lift in that way because we've had someone go before us. But in a case with Bishar and these other people, they've never had anybody go before them and they need something remarkable to show them this is true. But there isn't just the obvious miracles. There's the miracles we just take for granted in this story. Like the fact that a police chief would put his neck on the line to let Bashara go. Or that Bashara could pack dozens and dozens of people in his rented room without getting caught. Or that he could sneak a backpack full of Bibles into a military hospital. Or that God would turn the heart of his captor to become his accomplice. Or that Izabedin would get connected to the one guy he really wanted to hear from through a series of events that only God could orchestrate. And for me, what's just as miraculous as somebody being healed is a group of 40 Muslim people meeting together and reading the Bible. That's much more miraculous to me, just as impossible. And when you hear about all the things these new believers face, all the risks they have to take to follow Jesus, yeah, it makes sense that God would lift the clouds and that around every corner, he would be reminding Bashara and these others that he's real. But as real and faithful and miraculous as God is in Bashara's life, there's so much pain that goes along with the journey. And it's taught Bashara to celebrate every blessing and to still be able to praise God when those blessings are taken away. And out of all the blessings in Bashara's life, his mom and his twin brother becoming believers, that's what he celebrated the most. Which is why his faith was tested more than ever when Bashara got an unexpected call from his mom one day. She was back in the hospital with a new illness unrelated to her heart. And this time, it was clear that she wasn't gonna make it. Bishara's uncle traveled down to that country and was there with her in the hospital. And that's when his mom went downhill very quickly. And she said, I don't want to be buried as a Muslim. So just a few short months after giving her life to Jesus, Bashara's mom came face to face with him. His uncle stayed and fought for her to be buried as a Christian. And without Bashara's dad there to pull rank, eventually the family agreed. Bashara's mom would be remembered as someone who gave her life to Jesus and loved him with her last breath. She believed until the very end. When they found her, she had died with the Bible on her chest. He loved her dearly and he was just broken. I remember going over there the day that he told me and we just sat there. We had a whole lot of nothing to say for about four or five hours. And with his mom gone and his dad out of town, things turned pretty hostile among the siblings. After a week of growing tensions, Bashara's older brother ended up stabbing his twin brother in the neck and he was rushed to the hospital. I got the call at one in the morning. He was gone. That year was turning sadness upon sadness. But every time I first something, 
the Lord was with me, he would declare to me, you are loved. And he called me on the phone to tell me, you know, he was just obviously so broken. Like first his dad tries to kill him and then his mom dies and now his brother. The people, the two people he loves most in the world are now gone in the span of less than a month. I wasn't wondering, oh, is this guy gonna walk away from the faith? It was, is he gonna snap? Is he gonna go into this deep depression or, or go out of his right mind? Because things were happening over and over. It was like he was in the water and as soon as he could pop up and, and get some air, somebody would take his head and shove it back down in the water and he wouldn't know how long he had to hold his breath. And what do you say to somebody when that's happening? Things are gonna get better? Well, that's not true. It didn't get better. <laughs> like bad things kept happening. And I just kept wondering, what's it gonna take before this guy breaks mentally? And, and he would have broken if it weren't for the Lord meeting him in those lowest of moments. Like having a dream, um, having a vision from the Lord, having fellowship with other believers that were helping him try to carry that burden as, as best they could. And the Lord met him in precious ways. As the Lord brought comfort to Bishara, his dad felt anything but comfort as he returned home to what was left of his life. His wife was gone, his son was murdered, and his other son was in jail for it. Half of his family and a handful of neighbors were believers, and his health wasn't any better. Not knowing what to do next, he started reading the Bible. Bashara's uncle had stayed there, and he was secretly updating Bashara on his father's interest in Jesus. As his health seemed to decline, his faith seemed to grow. Over the next several months, he had a series of strokes that eventually led to paralysis. Bashara's uncle was with him through it all, reading, praying, and watching as he got to the point of only being able to move his lips in a whisper. With his dad in the hospital, having only days left to live, Bashara's uncle wanted him to know that there was one thing he didn't have to grieve. He told him that Bashara wasn't dead, that he had actually escaped, and that Bashara had been in contact with him this whole time. Bashara's dad wanted to hear his son's voice for himself. So a few days later, they talked on the phone. His dad asked for forgiveness, and Bashara gave it. And believing that it was the last conversation they would have, they said their goodbyes to each other. And he really rebounded to the point where probably sometime in, in March, he was able to go back home. And at that time, Bashara was really encouraged that his dad was believing. He was reading the word and things were going well. So miraculously, Bashara's dad made a full recovery and they kept in contact with each other. They'd call and talk and pray together. And although it wasn't easy for Bashara, they were building a bit of a relationship and he was thankful for that. And Bashara was pretty much back to life as normal, leading Bible studies, sharing the gospel with anyone who would listen, and baptizing believers by the dozen. He was a man on a mission. After he had been tortured and seen, you know, the grave just inches away, 
and was there to live knew that God had given him life in order to go and share the good news. He had lost his mom, he had lost his brother, and he had never lost Christ in the midst of this. And so his routine was he'd get up five, six o'clock in the morning, read the word, pray, get out the door, and he wouldn't come home until 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. at night. And he was doing that every day, seven days a week, nonstop. And he just, that's what he was living for. He was breathing it, who was finding so much joy and seeing all these people come out of darkness and just heartbreaking stories of where they were, you know, like people that were prostitutes, a guy that was a carjacker, people that had just really royally messed up their lives and they wanted to hear some good news. He just loved what he was doing and that's all he wanted to do. The gospel kept transforming lives and people kept encountering Jesus. And by April of that year, Bashar was pouring into over 300 people who had become believers. There were 39 different gatherings across the city, each ranging in size from three to 60 people. But the problem with that kind of snowball in the desert is that it draws a lot of attention. And all that momentum is what ultimately led to more loss for Bashara. On the next episode of Maverick. They were asking me, who are the people from overseas that are helping you be a Christian? Where are they? The government there could not believe that there would be any reason for this many Muslims to become Christians. It's such an unlikely story. It shouldn't have happened, and yet it did. Maverick is brought to you by Pioneers. Special thanks to our guest, Andy Hickford, and to Fis Akonga as the voice of Bashara. If you would like to financially help believers like Bashara make disciples and plant churches among the unreached, we invite you to check out Pioneers Co-Laborers Campaign. You can find more information in our show notes at pioneers.org maverick. 